This spring, while visiting family in Maine, we drove past the Frith Farm in Scarborough. And it got me to thinking, how was the small farm faring during this time of COVID? And what role might the small farm have as we move forward past this difficult time? When I returned home, I visited the website frithfarm.com and learned that many small farms are doing a lot more than simply growing food, that they are involved with new growing practices such as no-till plowing and a host of community activities from CSAs to workshops and apprenticeships. So I contacted Daniel Mays, the owner of Frith Farm, to see if he would share with us how he became a small farmer and what were some of the challenges and rewards of operating his farm. We talked this spring before his life would become completely engrossed with the operations of running his farm. With the coming of summer, everything becomes vibrant with activity. The crops are planted, the beds need weeding, and the plants start to produce, and the small farm starts to flourish. for talking a little bit about what it's like to run a small farm. Absolutely. So let's start with just how much did nature play a role in your growing up? Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, even the concept of nature is almost an artificial one. And I feel like children know that. In a lot of indigenous languages, there's no word for nature because it's just existence is kind of the closest word to it. It's, I think there's just a beauty in childhood of not having that construct embedded fully yet. So I just loved being outside. I loved exploring the woods. Some of my favorite activities were playing in, in little creeks, building little dams, uh, you know, finding crawfish under rocks. So yeah, I think that was all very uh, informative for my upbringing. So when did you start entertaining the idea that you might want something a little bit different? Gosh, I guess that I didn't really know what I wanted. I got a teaching job out of college, mainly just because that was the easiest, that's sort of the path of least resistance. I, I studied math and physics in college, and, you know, there's just a real need for math and science teachers. So I taught for a couple of years, and I loved that, but it wasn't, yeah, I was sort of footloose and I wanted to travel and see the world. So I, I did that for a little bit and and I've always been interested in environmental issues. I went to grad school for environmental engineering, focusing on sort of issues of sustainability, energy efficiency. I mean, I joke, I went to grad school to figure out what I didn't want to do. So, yeah, I, I was realizing, you know, doing computer modeling of, of building designs, as necessary as that might be for, you know, designing energy-efficient buildings, it, it wasn't sustainable for me in my life. It was too disconnected, too fragmented, really. I found I really yearned for a work that 
integrated the mental, the physical, and even spiritual um, aspects of life into one, you know, whole package, uh, if you will, of, of vocation. And that led you to farming. Yes, yeah, growing, uh, growing food. It was one of the few vocations I could think of that stewarded the earth and produced something in the process. A lot of other careers I was sort of looking at at the time didn't have that very tangible contribution to society. So, yeah, I was really drawn to that. I had done some volunteering on farms. I had done some woofing, so traveling, you know, volunteering on farms abroad. It wasn't purely uh, romanticized notions of, of what farming is, but I was pretty green. So I went right from grad school and, and helped a couple friends start a little CSA farm on one of their parents' land in eastern Massachusetts. I had such a good time doing that that I immediately started looking for land of my own to, to start my own farm. Do you have a family? Yes, I do. Yeah. I have a, a partner and, and we have two sons. One is two and a half and one is coming up on five months. So yeah, we have our hands full right now. It's it's a joy, <laughs> exhausting, but a lot of fun. How old were you when you purchased your land? I was 26. And you've been there ever since? 10 years, yeah. It was open land. It was cleared. It was sort of leased out as a hayfield. No one had been actively farming it for, for quite some time. The house was in pretty uh, rough shape, and the land was just, it had been mowed sort of once a year to keep it open. I was pretty determined to make a living from it. didn't have a lot of savings. I've never had off-farm income, so I, you know, I needed to make it work economically. Did a lot of thinking and then a lot of sort of business planning. But yeah, lots of planning, lots of, you know, enterprise budgets, cash flow analysis, uh, sort of getting a sense of was this even a viable thing. But I was very idealistic in terms of caring for the land and, and building soil health at the same time. The National Young Farmers Coalition is a wonderful organization as well. They have Amazing resources available for free for farmers. There's NOFA in in many states in, of New England, and there's Mosca in Maine. Great resources there for beginning farmers. There's also master gardener classes and YouTube channels, Instagram accounts that you can really glean a lot of uh, of tips for growing food from. And you are able to make a living. Yes, yes, I am. I'm a better living than I ever imagined. But yeah, we're we're definitely sustainable economically. We you know we hire a crew of about ten people full time each season. Have been reinvesting profits in the farm for ten years, and the farm's really grown and is well established at this point. Did you want to go to Maine, or did that just happen by chance? Yeah, I was definitely drawn to Maine. I was looking all over New England, but Maine pretty quickly rose to the top in terms of land being affordable and there being a really good support network for beginning farmers with Maine Organic Farmer Gardeners Association, Maine Farmland Trust, and just uh, support, sort of a cultural support for buying local food. So yeah, I, I was really drawn to Maine. So where does the name Frith Farm come from? It's an old English word. Frith comes from the same root as friend, sort of embodies the meaning of uh, kinship or sanctuary. It's also the name of my great-grandfather's farm in England, carrying carrying on that legacy. Can you share with us your website and how people can get in touch with you? Sure, yeah. The website is frithfarm.net. 
And that's F-R-I-T-H, F-A-R-M dot N-E-T. There's, yeah, there's information there about our uh, event schedule and, and workshops, but that'll be updated soon. And, yeah, we also have an Instagram. The handle is Frith Farm. If people want to follow us along there, or we're open to the public here in uh, Ash Swamp Road in Scarborough, Maine. So what are some of the things that you weren't prepared for that you've learned along the way about starting and operating a small farm? Gosh, yeah, I'd say I wasn't prepared for most of it, but I was young and passionate and full of energy, so thrived in that with that challenge. Now there's beginning to be more educational, you know, workshops and stuff on these things, but at the time I just kind of jumped into it. But I really, yeah, enjoyed the challenges as they came up. Gosh, I mean, all of it. Like I, just learning how to how to garden, how to grow plants, what they needed. Learning all the mechanical DIY stuff of of renovating the house and in, installing the irrigation system, building hoop houses. You know, I I was a pretty typical suburbanite uh, <laughs> before that. Lots of education, but not a lot of hard skills. So yeah, there was definitely a steep learning curve, but I I loved it. I mean, I just it was it was like feeding places in me that that hadn't been fed. That more that holistic sense of here I am having to really challenge not just my intellect, but my my body, learning new skills, uh, establishing new muscle memory, and just new ways of of interacting with the world, the natural and environment as opposed to the human-made environment is it's fundamentally different and it's you know it's diverse it's complex it's constantly changing there's no there's not the sort of uniformity and security there's none of that um sort of modular linear satisfaction in um in the natural world which is was really uh, a wonderful challenge and a wonderful way to kind of adapt my, how i saw the world and how i interacted with it would you advise someone who is thinking of starting a small farm? Do you recommend it? Oh, absolutely. There's so many ways to get growing. You don't have to, you know, follow a particular formula. Even and even just starting small, like grow grow a few plants in your backyard. You know, that's that's a start and you'll start learning so much about about how that works. Or if you're like me and just want to dive in, then absolutely, I'd say go for it. Take uh, take stock of of your support and what is realistic. So yeah, having having a plan, but also like taking some risk and being being willing to to jump off the edge into the unknown a bit. So what is no-till farming? Yeah, yeah, no-till is uh, it's an interesting term, sort of defined by what it isn't. So it's, it's farming without soil disturbance. You can sort of pick apart what that actually means, but basically we're trying not to move fast-moving metal through this soil. Soil is uh, is an ecosystem, um, and the structure of the soil and all the the different channels and aggregates that, that build over time from the life in the soil are pretty badly uh, damaged when we run metal through them. So trying to really minimize that, the most disturbance we'll try and do is just like a, a raking out of the soil surface in order to, to plant into it more easily. So yeah, that's what I'd say no-till no is at, at its root. Beyond that, I think, you know, really trying to maximize the, the life of the soil through, through growing cover crops and living plants 
through integrating livestock, through interplantings, anything we can do to build the diversity and abundance of life in and on the soil. I think you identify yourself as an organic farm. How difficult is it to farm organically? Yes. Yep. We are certified organic. Mafka certifies us. So we meet all those requirements, which are now kind of determined by the USDA. So, yeah, I think organic, you know, that's a great standard as sort of a bare minimum. And there are, you know, certainly ways we can surpass those standards, which we we try to. And is it hard? Yeah, I guess in a sense of for trying to treat the natural world the same way we treat our built environment, then organic farming seems really hard. Because, like I was saying, there's there's not the predictability, um, there's not the security, the uniformity that we have in our built environment. Unless we shift our mindset, then organic farming seems really hard. If if we can shift that mindset and approach the natural world as as part of it, we are caring for ourselves through through tending the land, and we can learn from the land. We can learn from how the plants teach us. Then organic farming is it's not about whether it's hard or easy. It's it's just about living. It's about finding connection with the world around us, which is in my in in a big way. I think that's the meaning of life. For me, it's it's not a question of how hard it is. It it's it's like why would I want to do anything else? So it, it does seem that, that small farming is becoming more uh, accessible, maybe, and more more people are doing it culturally. How important do you think it is that the small farm succeeds? I think it's crucial. I think small farms are what feed the world, contrary to what agribusiness tries to tell us. Sort of the most common argument against organic farming is, well, we can't feed 9 billion people with organic farming, which is just couldn't be farther from the truth because currently... 70, I think it's over 70% of the world's food comes from small farms across the globe. You're looking at those numbers and then looking at the environmental destruction that industrial agriculture has wrought so far, it's kind of a no-brainer that we need small farms. So how much of an impact do you think your farm has on your community? Yeah, I'd like to think that it has a, a positive impact, certainly employ a good number of people and, and build a really good rapport among our crew. We have a we have a lot of fun all, all season long, even as we're working hard. We also feed 200 families in, through our CSA program. About that much food also goes to four natural food stores locally. We host events on the farm. The farm's open to the public all day, every day, so people get to come and walk around and see how we're growing. Uh, we, we host workshops, do farm tours, so trying to sort of educate folks on on sort of an alternative way of, of growing food. So I'd, I'd like to think we're having a, a good impact. Yeah, and more and more we're thinking about how agriculture is at the root of sort of issues of social justice as well. Exploitation of land and people is, is part of the agricultural history of this country. So recognizing that and seeing farming as an opportunity to address some of those uh, inequalities as well. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, um, it's a huge topic and I'm, you know, relatively new to it. My My eyes are opening wider to it every day, but looking at the history of agriculture in the U.S., 
first off, we're on occupied territory that most of the, if not all of the land on, on this continent was taken by force. The people who lived here, their descendants still still live here. So yeah, we have to grapple with that history. You know, how can we heal from that? How can we make amends for that? And then the the long history of slavery in this country too. That was agricultural based oppression. And yeah, how do we grapple with that history? And and yeah, agriculture was used as a way of exploiting people and exploiting land to accumulate wealth. That's sort of the legacy of, of agriculture in this country. It's a lot to grapple with as a farmer. You know, certainly I'm not going to solve any of that single handedly, but I think working toward some kind of repair of the of those histories is essential if, if we're going to heal not just the land, but the relationships that, that form part of the land. So is that why on your website that you state that your farm is on Wabanaki land? That's correct. Yeah, that's just a simple acknowledgement, you know, that this land is Wabanaki land, that it was taken, continues to be occupied. You know, that acknowledgement in and of itself doesn't mean much, uh, but it needs to be followed up with with action of, you know, what can I do um, and what can I help others do to to make amends for that. So there are all, all sorts of ideas. One is like a voluntary land tax. Um, you know, we pay property tax to the local municipality, but perhaps we could pay tax to the, to the rightful owners of the land as well. Do you see the small farm as having a much deeper and wider impact in the community and in our society than just growing food. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, growing food is is huge too. We are what we eat and and that connection of of providing for ourselves and for the ones we care about is fundamental as well. But I I do see soil at the root of a lot of our issues, um, a lot of our challenges that we face of um, you know, decreasing biodiversity, erosion, carbon in the atmosphere, you know, global climate change, that's largely from agriculture. It's largely from the loss of organic matter in our soils. I would like for you to just spend a little bit of time just talking about that, having your hands in the soil. Yeah, I think that connection with the earth is fundamental to to health, that connection. And, you know, it doesn't have to be hands. You can walk barefoot on the soil, you can sit in the grass, jump in a leaf pile like that. Just the connection with the with the earth is something that, you know, the modern world has largely severed. Sort of ecological umbilical that we have to Mother Earth has largely been cut. And I think that is the source of all sorts of, of damage. Yeah, getting getting hands in the soil, you know, there's all sorts of benefits to your to your health in terms of all those microbes, but there's also yeah, a deeper connection I believe in in the the psychological connection that we have to the earth and what then how that affects how we how we treat the world around us. Um yeah, I think there's tremendous potential for healing through through that connection. I really believe, you know, humans are soil. We're part of the soil food web. We're terrestrial organisms. The word human shares a root with humus or soil. Like that that's our home, that's who we are. So caring for the soil is the same as caring for ourselves. We can't be healthy without healthy soil. At a really uh sort of profound level I've I felt drawn to 
pouring my heart into into caring for the land and, and building soil health. And by that, I mean the life and vitality in the soil, organic matter and living organisms and, and diversity, and just that feel you get when your hands are in healthy soil or when you're walking over well-cared-for land, when you're eating food from that soil. The taste and flavors it has and how it makes you feel afterward, um, all of that, um, I just, yeah, I, I'm obviously passionate about it. So is this a lifetime commitment? Yeah, I, I feel pretty committed. I assume I'll be at this farm the rest of my life. That's what's so beautiful about farming is it's so dynamic. There's never like, oh, I'm, I'm done now. I'll just keep doing this the rest of my life. It's like, no, I, I want to keep learning and growing and adding things that work well and letting go the things that, that aren't bringing fulfillment. Um, we grew native corn, um, an Abenaki flint corn last year for the first time which was just wonderful and we've been eating that so amazing to have the that sort of connection to the land that indigenous peoples you know cultivated thousands of years ago we we grow like 50 different varieties of vegetables another favorite is uh ginger which is actually a tropical understory crop but we grow it here in a in an unheated greenhouse so yeah experimenting with those crops that are very much native and grounded in this place, but also ones that are are, are travelers and can uh, give us a little taste of, of somewhere else. I mean, that's why we grow at a human scale. I, I call it human scale because we're, we're, we don't fire up machines very much to, to run the farm. We're just out there with our hands and our bodies interacting with the plants. You know, our feet are on the ground, our hands are on the plants, and, and there's just that connection so whatever the plant is you know we have a relationship with it so grateful i found sort of what my passion is and and found a way to make it into something the way i have every day i just i get up and i commute 10 steps out to the courtyard and meet with a group of amazing people who have chosen to to work here this season and we just laugh and talk and work really hard. It's a it's an amazing life that I feel yeah so privileged and, and grateful to to lead. And I'd encourage anyone who's feeling sort of you know unfulfilled or, or stuck in their current job who who wants who wants to shift things up. You know it's it's possible. There's certainly challenges to it. Everyone has different degrees of privilege that, that make it harder or easier. But I think there are ways to get your hands in the soil uh, no matter where you are. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Daniel Mays and that you will visit your local farmer and small farm. The small farm is a very important part of the fabric of our communities. And I hope you will support them. Thank you. This edition of Nature Revisited is being sponsored by Osmia Bee Company, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Osmia Bee Company, providing you with everything you need to raise bees native to North America, right in your backyard. So whether you're a farmer, home gardener, or hobbyist, 
Saving the bees starts with you. Usmeabee.com Please share Nature Revisited with family, friends, and colleagues. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and our website, NordenProductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N Productions.com. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan. Please join us for our next episode of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. Nature.